In this episode, we're going to be talking about big trade news and rumors, the Warriors, John Morant being out for the season, and a ton more. And this is a big episode. You're not going to want to miss it. So let's just get right into it. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Timeout Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And welcome to the first episode of Timeout Talk in 2024. I think this is our third year, uh, third calendar year of doing the podcast. So we're super excited to be here, have a lot of fun stuff planned for the year. Um, but let's just start by talking about some NBA news, because a lot happened um, since we had our last episode. And let's start with a trade, Hunter. Why not? We all love trades. Uh, and it was a pretty... Uh, important one, I would say, that happened between the Raptors and the Knicks. Um, on the surface, you might not think it's that consequential, but it's uh, led to a lot of big results for uh, each of these respective teams. And that's uh, the Knicks shipping Emmanuel Quickly and RJ Barrett for OG Ananobi and like Malachi Flynn and Precious Chua, who, you know, basically not are not going to get any run. But the big piece there is OG Ananobi for RJ Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly. Obviously, RJ Barrett, one of the preeminent Canadian players in the league going to like the hometown team. And it's led to some pretty great results for both teams. So Hunter, what do you think of this trade? Who do you think won it? Um, now that we've had a few games uh, for each of these teams with these new lineups. And uh, do you think it significantly shifts anything in, in, in the Eastern conference? Uh, I mean, Vegas doesn't think so. You know, you look at this trade, you say at first, I thought that this was kind of a steal for the Raptors. I thought there was a this is an overpay for OG Ananobi. But after having seen OG Ananobi and the Knicks not having lost a game yet, I believe, since he's been on the team, they've looked really good, really cohesive. He's really fitting into that the style of play. Uh, I think it's a great win win situation. You know, there doesn't always have to be a loser in these trades. And Emmanuel Click quickly, especially, has really blossomed and flourished under uh, you know, this new Toronto team. Uh, RJ Barrett going back home. He's looked solid as well. They just really add to that young court that they are building with Scotty Barnes. Um, and I'm blanking on some of the other guys over there right now who are, who are on the younger side. But, you know, I think this is actually going to be a very promising team to come in the future. Um, so, you know, I, I just think this is a win-win. How about you? Yeah, I agree. I think this is one of those rare cases where each team really benefits. I think that in uh, Toronto, you get a you know a young point guard you can really start to build around. I think quickly fits in really well with Scotty Barnes, and I've already liked the sort of chemistry there. I think RJ Barrett's really been flourishing. He's already had a, a really good year, I would say. Just looked a lot more confident off the dribble. Uh, his shooting just has looked improved, even if the stats don't necessarily reflect it. And just has played a lot more up to his potential and what we saw you know, when he was drafted number two overall from Duke, um, or number three, rather. Um, can't forget about Ja, but yeah, I mean, he's been putting up some great stat lines. I think just the other night he put up 37 points against the Warriors and a very convincing win. Um, let's hope that doesn't continue tonight against the Lakers, uh, because we do know that uh, Toronto seems to have had the Lakers numbers in, in recent years. But uh, back to this trade right here. I agree. I think OG and Nobi is fitting really well with the Knicks. And I mean, they're they've been getting some really convincing wins against quality opponents. They had a, a six point win against the Timberwolves, almost a thirty point win against the Sixers, which was a great win for them. They're currently blowing out the Portland Trailblazers, which I know doesn't mean much, but as you said, they're undefeated in the OG and an OB, uh, 
like era, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, OG Ananobi is a guy who fits in perfectly with Tom Thibodeau's type of style, right? He's a gritty defensive player, likes to shoot the three, hustle on both ends of the floor. And it's just a, a perfect companion piece besides uh, Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. And what they want to say is, I think we don't give Julius credit, uh, Julius Randle enough credit for how much of a versatile three-level scorer this guy is. Each of the times he's been like an all-star, all-NBA caliber player, he's done it in a different way, right? I think uh, the first time around 2021, it was through his, uh, you know, three-point shooting, right? He he turned into a preeminent three-point shooter um, in the league, or maybe that was last year. And in 2021, he was a, a bit of a mid-range guy, right? Yeah, 2021, um, he was just honestly all around. He, that was probably... The, I think that was his like MVP candidacy season. I think it was like fourth in the MVP, MVP voting. Right. Uh, and I mean, he had a fantastic season, but then, you know, the next time around, I can't remember, uh, I might be messing up the order, but then he switches to being a three point shooter, right? He, mm-hmm. he worries what one year he dominates the mid range next year, he becomes a three point shooter. And this year we've seen him be a more physical dominant force in the paint, right? Scoring as more of a slasher, getting his points strictly in the painted area. Um, and he's just dominating that too. He's de- uh, going to be a surefire all-star, maybe an, another all-NBA bid for him as well this year. And so got to give him credit. When you talk about the Knicks, I know we all talk about Jalen Brunson, but got to give Julius credit, Julius Randle his credit. He's been having an amazing season uh, after a bit of a shaky start. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. I fully agree. And uh, I really like where this Knicks team's going. But let's talk about some of these other you know, trade rumors Wait, that have what, been on the market. One more thing about this, Hunter. I just want you to know, what, what do you think is the ceiling for this Knicks team as they're currently constructed? Realistically, I do think that this Knicks team can be a conference finals, maybe even – I'd say conference finals is where I see their ceiling. I just think when you, you look at the Celtics, I don't see any team beating the Celtics, which is why yeah. I, I just put them as the only NBA finals-level team in the East, except maybe the Bucks, just because of their star power. Um, mm. uh, you know that the Knicks don't necessarily have that star power, but in the same way that the Miami Heat have that cohesiveness and culture and grit, I think I see a lot of that. I think Jalen Brunson brings a lot of that to the table, and I think also that Julius Randle has proven to be a little bit of a liability in the postseason. So I can't quite call them a Finals contender. Yeah, uh, one thing I'm hoping for is with this new sort of physically dominant style play. I hope that'll translate to the playoffs better for Julius Randle. I mean, it seems a lot more reproducible than, you know, getting hot from behind the arc. But yeah, I I fully agree. I think that Knicks, if they get the right matchups, they could be a team that makes it to the conference finals. I mean, we already saw they've beaten the Bucs a couple times this year. Um, I mean, no team, I feel like, outside the Celtics is without their deficiencies. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's really a toss-up in the East this year, which is really exciting. Um, except maybe the Celtics, who are like, I would say pretty much a lock for like at least the conference finals. Yeah, definitely the Celtics are the the team to beat. But uh, continuing with where I was going, let's talk about some of these other trade rumors because no trades have actually been made. But there's been a lot of talk around Pascal Siakam as a guy mm. that the Raptors are trying to move. He doesn't necessarily fit their young core. He's a little bit older, a little bit better. Um, so you know there were talks between the Raptors and the Kings centered around Harrison Barnes. That trade fell through, and there's no more discussion there. But Pascal Siakam is certainly somebody who teams are looking at in the market right now, uh, as you know, as well as the Warriors. That's another team that has been looking to grab him. So there's definitely uh, something there. What do you see? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the Warriors is kind of the obvious fit there. I mean, they just need a, just somebody else who can sort of score, get to the rim, create his own shot. Um, he's not much of a shooter. I mean, he's shooting sub 30% this year, but um, you have enough shooting on that team in theory between Steph Clay, uh, Moody, you know, a whole litany of shooters on that uh, Golden State Warriors roster. Uh, and I think Siakam will give some length. He'll give some defensive versatility as well if he buys in to that side of the floor. And I could definitely see a deal being made with Golden State around one of the young guys like uh, Kaminga or Moody and uh, seeing a deal being made there. I think an interesting potential destination for Pascal Siakam is actually Cleveland. I think that hmm. one of probably Evan Mobley is the guy to go in this situation, but I think that Evan Mobley hasn't maybe been progressing as fast as the Cavaliers would have wanted. And if the Cavs are really going to buy in to contending this year, they, they need to upgrade at uh at one of these positions. And I think Pascal Siakam's the obvious fit. I think that, you know, Mobley would thrive alongside Scotty Barnes perfectly. I think that, you know, he would be the perfect sort of defensive fit for Scotty as sort of a, an anchor on that side of the floor. And I think that with Pascal Siakam, you know, kind of like Golden State, Cleveland has a lot of shooting between Max Strews, Donovan Mitchell, Garland, you know, list of names goes on. Um, but you get a guy who can, you know, really just kind of get his, get to the rim at will. Um, he's going to thrive under the spacing and really be a, a versatile playmaker as well with, uh, you know, all these shooters around the perimeter. And so I think that's another interesting destination. So uh, I, I do think Pascal Siakam should be moved. I think that his time is sort of worn out in Toronto. Clearly they're going more for the rebuilding kind of uh, position here, but I think that Cleveland or, uh, Golden State are the destinations I would want to see him land in. So, I mean, what do you think of these two potential destinations? Do you have a preference for one? Um, or I just want to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I think Golden State could be interesting. I think that I'm not sure about Cleveland's destination. I think that would be a little strange. Uh, just because I, I, don't, I don't think that it's a bad fit, but I just think that Cleveland isn't quite ready to blow it up yet. And I don't think they should. They still have Donovan Mitchell on lock for two this year and next year before his player option. And I think they can be a little bit more careful. If this year doesn't work out, uh, I think there's a great free agency class coming up this year. You can do a sign and trade. I think that's when you start to look at making moves if this year doesn't work out again. But I think you have to give it a chance, especially because Darius Garland's out right now. And this is the team that's tied with the Knicks right now, I believe, at the sixth seed. they can make a strong push, and I still do think this is a team that we talked about. Maybe the bright lights were a little too bright for them last year. Maybe they're not. They're probably not beating a a Celtics. They're not beating a Bucks. But you know, in seven games, a lot can happen. And I think that this team still has enough buy-in right now. Right. I think just the the thing for me there is I agree. You do have time if you're Cleveland, but also the clock is ticking with Donovan Mitchell. Right. He's kind of all the rumors around the NBA are uh, signaling that he wants out. He wants to go to a place like, like New York. Um, And so if you are Cleveland, you realize that your window for contending is actually pretty small. So might as well try to buy in fully and get a guy who's going to help you compete right now. I think that uh, Evan Mobley for as talented a defensive player, he is, he does have a lot of flaws in his game that I think, you know, prevent him from, being a real piece on a championship level team at this point in his career. Right. I think offensively he's a little limited. I don't think his shot has really developed all the way there yet. Um, And so the fit is also a bit awkward with Jared Allen and 
Evan Mobley, at least right now, I think there's, I don't think that's a recipe for long-term playoff success. So I think that it does make sense if you're the Cavs for a certain extent, if you're like, all right, let's really buy into being a contender this year. Let's push all of our chips into the table while we still have Donovan Mitchell and give it a, give it our best shot. Hey, you know, I think that's fair. Uh, another guy I want to talk about is DeJounte Murray. You know, this is a guy who, I mean, not just DeJounte Murray, but also just the entire Hawks roster. This Hawks team is a team looking to sell everyone except Trey and Jalen Johnson. If you don't know who Jalen Johnson is, that's the rookie who's been really just amazing for them. Or he might not be a rookie, but a second-year player. He's young. He's young. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, and DeJounte Murray is that main guy they're looking to potentially trade. He's drawn interest from San Antonio, reportedly, which is really interesting because that's where he came from. He's also drawn an interest from teams like the Lakers, um, uh, the Kings as well. He's just a, a really good overall guy to have for a lot of teams because he's very good on defense and he could do a lot of things on offense as well. Shoot the ball, pass. Um, so he's he's a valuable asset. And where do you see him landing? I honestly think that he would really be good back in San Antonio. I think that... You know, if you're San Antonio and you somehow manage to land DeJounte Murray back, that would be an absolute finesse of a move from the front office, right? You trade him away, get three firsts, one of those, one of whom turns into Victor Wembanyama, and then you get him back while his value is greatly diminished. Because obviously Hawks have had a, a bit of a rough year, right? They're sitting at the 12 seed. The DeJounte Murray and Trey Young pairing has not been a sort of match made in heaven like we all thought it was going to be. And so... DeJounte Murray, as a result, he's taken a bit of a step back this year, at least in terms of his efficiency. You know, uh, I, I think that he just nece hasn't necessarily had the best year um, in terms of like uh, translating the wins or anything like that. So if you're able to get him at a reduced price, be a, a fantastic move. Uh, but I think a, a lot of teams could really benefit from DeJounte Murray as sort of a as, as the guy who you want bringing up the ball. Um, I think, though, that another guy that should be on basically every team's radar is DeAndre Hunter. I mean, this is a guy who's a preeminent three and D guy in the league, right? He's shooting the three at 40% clip on about um, 11 attempts per game. He's going to give you some really great defense. So basically every single team in the league could use a two-way guy like this wings who can shoot the three ball, stretch the floor, as well as defend um, are, are incredibly valuable. And, you know, on a team like, um, like the Milwaukee Bucks, if they had a guy like DeAndre Hunter, their ceiling would go up tremendously. So I think that this uh, Hawks team is ripe with talent. I think that they're really going to go into the selling mode, which it seems like they are. Um, a lot of teams should be calling Atlanta's front office right now. Um, Hunter, what do you think about – first, what do you think about Atlanta's decision to blow it up? Do you think they should maybe try to make some trades of their own and, and retool this roster around Trey Young? Or uh, if not, who are some of the pieces on this team you like to see get moved? Yeah, I think this is it's time to blow it up. I think it's really hard. This is like the second time, quote, blowing it up, getting DeJounte Murray, uh, getting rid of John Collins in that sort of era of Trey Young's career. But the hard thing, especially for Atlanta, is going to be they're never going to be a losing team as long as Trey Young is there. As long as Trey Young is there, he's at least going to be giving them to the 500 mark. That's just. But I mean, wait, aren't they 14 and 21 right now? Right, right. But what I'm saying is they're. Are are they wait, sorry? Are they fourteen and twenty one right now? Let me look <laughs> yes. at the standings. Right, no, but you're not. What I'm what I'm trying to say is you're going to be at least in contention for the play, and you're always going to be a team that's like not at the very bottom. Like 
by himself, he can take you like they're going to go from the 15 seed to the 10 seed. Like that's the kind of what I'm talking about. Like it's not that massive change like a Steve Nash to the Suns, but it's still enough to where you're never going to get the a top five pick. Sure. Yeah. If they really want to blow it up, that probably would have to require Trey Young wanting out, um, or them trading Trey Young, which isn't going to happen because he's their cor- cornerstone piece. Uh, I would hate to see the Hawks keep retooling this roster and try to give Trey Young more different pieces of the same level of mediocrity. Um, I think they need to make a, a real decision and blow it up because they just don't have the assets to get a real threat. Well, I just I'm I'm questioning the timing of this decision because one everybody around the league knows this is one of the weaker draft classes in a very long time, right? There's no like clear number one prospect. There's no generational talents. There's just a bunch of guys whose ceiling could be like decent starter, you know, quality role player, maybe one or two time all star, but nobody who you're you know intentionally tanking to get like we've had the past couple of seasons. Um, secondly, I mean. It's really hard to tank this year, especially in the Eastern Conference, because the bottom is so low. Like, the Hawks have 14 wins. The three teams below them, the Hornets have eight, the Wizards have six, and the Pistons have three. So good luck trying to get better odds for those picks, right? So if you're going for the lottery, you're not in the best spot here. And so I guess if you're retooling, you're retooling for, like, the the distant future, right? You're getting first-round picks. You're getting young assets and starting a rebuild almost, in which case you have Trey Young, who is playing at an like an incredible level right now. Are you just going to squander that and throw it away? I think that this Hawks team should not be as bad as it currently is. I think there are changes you can make around the margins to at least give you a chance to compete in the plan. I just think that rebuilding at this point right now, unless you buy in fully and you trade Trey Young and you get you know a young star like that, it doesn't really make sense in my opinion. I oh, mean, I I agree. That's what that's sort of what I was trying to say with the you need to get rid of Trey Young if you really want this to work, which yeah, is I'm, not going to happen. I guess one question I want to pose to you is because Trey he's not like an old player by any means. He's twenty five right now. Mm-hmm. At what point do you think it's too old to say like okay, we're going to start a rebuild with this player? Um, is twenty five? You would you say that kind of limit or like what what would you say? Yeah, I think he's getting close to it. Like, I think kind of the age where Kobe demanded his trade after the sort of Shaq um, de- debacle, like three years later, that was probably, he was probably like 25, 26. That was probably mm-hmm. roughly when that happened. I think that's kind of the breaking point for a lot of guys because that's when you're entering your prime. Yeah. I mean, so, like, I would just hate to see prime Trey Young, you know, in his 20, 27, 28, you know, competing to make the play-in with a bunch of young guys or, like, you know, a couple second-year players that they got in the draft. Um, when I think that, you know, he's he's a guy who's, you know, talented enough to be competing for a championship at this point. He's already that talented. And so I, I hope the Hawks figure it out. But if they do decide to sell, a bunch of different destinations for their players that I, I would like to see happen. Um, another team in the East that we've been talking about blowing it up for a while is the Chicago Bulls. Um and guys who've been connected in trades throughout the year have been Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. So, I mean, Hunter, if they, because we already sort of talked about whether we think we should blow it up. Um, mm-hmm. And we both sort of agree that, you know, it's, it's, an, it's enough. Time is up. We do not like this team really as it's currently constructed, but 
where do you think Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan should go? Because Levine's been connected to a lot of teams, including your Los Angeles Lakers. No. Um, <laughs> I really don't see much of a market for them out there. It's it's kind of a rough position. Like you're saying, weaker draft class. Um, it's just a, a tough position to be in. I, I've seen reports that there have kind of been conversations, but where the Bulls want things to be and where other teams see the value of Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan is totally polar opposite. You know, I think there was a very inflated market that we saw with the after that Rudy Gobert trade where he commanded like five first round picks and players as well. And then I feel like the year or two following that we saw uh, still that inflation was still there after that Rudy Gobert trade. And I think teams are coming back down to earth a little bit. I mean, even that DeJounte Murray trade, like you said, three first round picks and other players like that was a lot, even for a guy who was a first time all-star. Um, so, you know, I just don't think they're going to get what they want out of the market anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if they do find anything, like let's say a, a quote unquote hypothetical Zach Levine to the Lakers trade, the Lakers are seemingly not willing to give up Austin Reeves or Rui Hachimura, which would be the only two assets that would be interesting to to the Bulls. So, you know, that's just how it goes. I, ca- I agree in the sense that I think that, you know, the Bulls are not going to get what they want. But at this point, I think that there are they i mean they have a lot of young pieces right that i think they would want to at least give them the room to develop and sort of make it their team whereas i don't think the hawks have sort of that same level i mean yes they have jalen johnson but besides that who else do they have right i think that sneakily kobe white has been having a very underrated season i think that he's you know really improved his shooting a lot and i think that i would like to see him sort of take this team by the reins and, and sort of be the lead on this squad, right? Um, alongside, you know, the rest of the guys you got there. Uh, but I mean, I think Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan each could be that kind of like third guy on the team that could take one of these want like contenders and sort of push them over the edge and into really being like maybe favorites, right? I think it's a couple of teams that come to mind are like Philadelphia, right? They've been connected to Zach Levine. I think they mm-hmm. do have the pot that the, the sort of assets to make that deal happen. They got a bunch of those first round picks in the Harden trade. And I think, you know, they have the salaries to make it work. I'd love to see that pairing alongside Tyrese Maxey and uh, Joel Embiid. Another team I would want to see is potentially the Sacramento Kings, right? That's a team that we talked about them being connected to Siakam, but they're about one piece away, I think, from really being in that championship contention uh, window. I think that, you know, Fox and Sabonis are good, but not quite enough. And I think that if they added a Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan, I think that would really boost their chances. Um, even a team like OKC, I know that they're number two in the West right now and look fine, but come playoff time, I think they would really benefit from a veteran guy who's really been in a lot of these playoff battles like DeMar DeRozan. So ideally, I would want to see DeMar as a as a guy in OKC. I think that the fit would be pretty great there. Um and so I think there certainly is a, is a big demand across the league for, for guys like this, especially a guy like DeMar DeRozan, who's a veteran, you know, quality shot maker, you know, very comfortable in the clutch. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just kind of want to see these deals happen, honestly, more than anything. I don't know how I feel about DeMar and OKC. You know, I think I feel like OKC is something good going on. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. But and, what, uh, what have we seen time and time so again, Hunter? Come. 
what have we seen time and time again? Young teams that don't really have a lot of playoff experience, usually their first or second time around, the lights are too bright. You know, they're not ready for that playoff physicality. Right. But I don't think DeMar fits. DeMar doesn't fit what they, they do. Why not? You know, it makes sense to add a guy like Laurie Marketing, a guy who's going to very be easy, very easy to plug and play. A guy you stick on the perimeter, good shooter, can get you some boards, can get you some blocks maybe, and just be efficient. But DeMar DeRozan is an entirely – that's like adding a Shea to a team. It's not like he's that level – he's not as good as Shea. But what I'm saying is you got a guy who's a really good mid-range scorer, a guy who can pass the ball, um, but he needs the ball in his hands. He's not quite as efficient as some of the other guys you can, you can get out in the market. And he's aging. He's not going to be able to run this fast. He's not going to be able to jump as high. And he's going to be injury prone. Yeah, but I mean like – or Sorry, go ahead. And Who are you taking out your starting lineup? Jalen Williams, who's been you, a really amazing piece for you? You don't take Jalen Williams. I think, I think maybe you put – you put uh move Lou Dort to the two, let Josh Kitty really take over that second unit and play DeMar at the three. I think one element of DeMar's game that really improved when he was in San Antonio and has translated over to Chicago is his playmaking. So DeMar as that secondary playmaker alongside Shea, I think would work really well. And the only thing there is that, you know, the spacing is a tiny bit suspect, but I think that between Jalen Williams uh, Chet and honestly, Lou Dort's been having a pretty good shooting season. I think you'd be fine there. I I think it would be a, a match made in heaven. Honestly, it would work really well. Well, I don't think we're gonna find that one out. To be honest with you, I just don't think that one's gonna happen. But I see the vision. Okay. Uh, another la- last trade we are gonna talk about or trade rumor is the Warriors wanting to move CP3. I think yeah. this is something that a lot of people could have seen coming into this season. Uh, just having CP3 be injury prone, he just is uh, got surgery on his fractured wrist. Um, he looked great when he was playing there, but you know it's just the Warriors are struggling. That's that's just plain and simple. So you know they've been tied to like you said earlier, Pascal Siakam with that sort of uh, a Warriors center trade. Um, but who else do you think it might be out there for CP3 to join? Hear me out. You got to hear me out with this. But I think CP3 would be an excellent backup point guard for the Indiana Pacers. I mean, they have Tyrese Halliburton, and that currently they're running kind of a combination of Bruce Brown and TJ McConnell as that backup point guard. But I think that the Pacers really lack that guy who's going to hold down the second unit, could also be a mentor to uh, Tyrese Halliburton, um, who I think we've called the next point god. But, you know, He's never really had a real mentor at that position outside of like TJ McConnell. And let's be real, TJ McConnell and CP3 are not really comparable. And so I think you can get CP3 for cheap. I think that the Warriors kind of almost view him as a negative asset at this point. It's no surprise that this move didn't work. Me and you both called it from a million miles away. Everyone could have seen this coming. But that's not to say that CB3 can't still be productive at this point in his NBA career. I mean, we saw the Warriors were okay to start the season, had some pretty good flashes here and there. I just think that CB3 really needs to sit back and, you know, be comfortable with his role as a backup point guard. And I think he would fit in perfectly with the Indiana Pacers. Do you, really are like you more idea. of a fan of that move? It's kind of like the Jaw D Rose kind of situation. And it's yes. just something, it's not necessarily that I, I've, I'm not even thinking about it from an encore perspective. I just like the idea of it just kind of 
the old generation teaching the new generation of the same kind of skill set. And I really like that idea. Now, I really like TJ McConnell as their backup point guard. I think he's really sneakily good. I think people forget about him as a really good backup point guard in the NBA. He's really good at getting steals. He's crafty. He's a good finisher. Uh, he has a decent jump shot, and he's hardworking. He's kind of like a little bit like Matthew Dellavedova. Like I feel like that's a decent comparison. Yeah. Um, I, scrappy, I like him. Scrappy white guys, backup yeah, point exactly, guards. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I like him. And... Uh, you know, I think it's going to be hard for the Warriors to find real assets for CP3, especially with the salary matching. That's going to be kind of tough. Uh, you know, considering he's coming off of an injury, his trade value is going to be definitely low right now. And you got rid of Jordan Poole for him. And I think Jordan Poole could have been much better for you this year than last year, and especially better than he is right now for the Wizards. You think that if the Warriors kept Jordan Poole, he would not be as, like, because we saw he had a pretty bad season last year that's like half the reason why the Warriors traded him. You thought you think he would still be pretty good and productive with the Warriors? Uh, I think it, it's more likely than what's going on right now. I see why they did what they did. I just don't know that they're going to get something better out of this trade if they do make a trade than what they started with a year ago. It's kind of Fair like enough. the same thing with it's kind of the same thing with the the Lakers. Like the Lakers somehow made a miracle trade out of Russ. Like they were able to get D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, and picks out of Russell Westbrook, which nobody thought was possible at the time, considering how bad he was playing. Unless somehow they can pull something crazy off in that front office, I really don't see them getting good value back for Chris Paul at this point in his career. Although he has been drawing attention from a lot of teams reportedly. I agree. I think they could get, you know, maybe like a a decent backup and a, a first round pick from the Indiana Pacers, and they'd be more than happy to accept that. I think the Pacers would view that as a win as well. Um, but I think that that's a good place to move on. Um, we've mentioned a couple of big names here, a couple of all-stars, and that's a perfect segue to talking about our all-star picks for this year, because the all-star game is slowly creeping up. The ballots have already opened up. Um, so let's, Lay, uh, let's list our all-stars in each conference. There's five guards in the West and the East, as well as six forwards uh, in each respective conference. So let's name our picks. Um, let's go kind of like maybe like West guards, I go, you go, and then like switch for the forwards and stuff like that. Uh, and then we can talk about maybe some snubs as well. So uh, you can kick us off with the West. Uh, let's hear your guards and give us a Yeah, starters. I think... Western Conference guards, I think my two starters are definitely going to have to be Luca and Shea. I'm sorry, Steph, just can't be a starter. But, you mm. know, obviously he's another all-star for me. And my last two guys, I'm going to have Ant-Man and De'Aaron Fox. Isn't it five guards? This... Yeah, that's five. That's Steph, Shea, Luca, Ant, Fox. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, yeah, so is that, do you have the same five? or do you Same have, five, uh... same starters. Yeah. Let's move to forwards. Okay. I have my starters being Nikola Jokic, LeBron James, and Kevin Durant. Mm. Then I have Anthony Davis, uh, although I think he should be a starter. I just don't think he will be with media voting and all those other things. Um, I have DeMontis Sabonis and mm. Kawhi Leonard. Okay, I got to disagree with you there. I think that there, if any team was going to have two all-stars in the – uh, in the West, it should be the OKC Thunder 
or it should be the Minnesota Timberwolves. It should not be the Sacramento Kings, and it should not be De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. I think that a guy I went with was Brandon Ingram. I think that he's, in my opinion, been the best player for the New Orleans Pelicans, for a solidified playoff team. And that, I think, is a better pick than Sabonis because, like, as I said, if you're a team that has two All-Stars, you got to be the number one or minimum number two seed. And so if you said Carl Anthony Towns, I'd be like, okay, I get that. I get that. If you even said Chet Holmgren, I would be, that's a bold pick, but I like it. That would be interesting. But I think that Sabonis, it doesn't really make sense considering the standings. And I think standings do play a factor in the all-star picks. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. And I would have also considered a guy like Alperin Shangun, uh, Brandon mm. Ingram. But I just think Sabonis has been really good. He's been top three in the league in triple doubles this season. He's averaging career highs in many ways he's being one of his most efficient seasons and he's just looked really good out there i like what i'm seeing out of him the eye test tells me he's been good and although the kings are a little bit lower in the standings than you might have expected after last year i think you can make the argument that they do deserve two all-stars do you, but off of the kings for a second do you also have Kawhi leonard uh kevin durant Jokic, lebron ad yes i have the same picks i i do have ad starting but obviously lebron will start and probably Steph will start over Shea. I mean, that's just the way these 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 things go. Uh, the fan vote is taken into consideration, and so I'm pretty sure it'll be, uh, you know, your starting lineup for the West will be Steph, Luka, Jokic, uh, LeBron, and KD. I think that's going to be your five right there. Right. Um, but I think we have mostly the same picks there. Um, are there any snubs in the West? Any guys you left out? Because obviously we mentioned a couple of forwards in Shangoon, in uh, – even Carl Anthony Towns, Brandon Ingram Zion, for me, Zion, yeah, for you, Bi, uh, Paul George Paul, is another guy, yeah. but one hundred percent Paul George. Jamal Murray has to be a guy of the guards. He look mm-hmm. at and say, man, it's tough for him not to make it. But again, he's more of a of a postseason kind of guy. He kind of rides that legacy a little bit more. So I don't think it's too crazy for him not to be there. I mean, also, um, I feel like while we're on the topic, Devin Booker. I mean, obviously oh, yeah. the Suns have been struggling, but D Book's always going to be a guy in those playoff or sorry all-star conversations but i think mainly due to the fact that the suns have been struggling so much uh that's why he's not on my list right and honestly i think rudy gobert would be more of a snub than cat i think cat's taking a little bit of a backseat this year and i think rudy gobert has been the second best player for this team even if he's not exciting to watch i mean you you can say that but i mean if you look at the numbers um like cat's been putting up some pretty incredible numbers this year uh, even though he may he might have taken a, a bit of a step back, still putting up twenty one and nine, you know. So like right, that's, but the, that's... the numbers aren't going to tell you everything as far as the defensive metrics, everything surrounding defense. You look at Rudy Gobert, and he's just absolutely dominant, and that's what he's been an All Star for in the past. And he one hundred percent does deserve it this year. He just isn't going to get it because there's not enough space. Sure, and honestly, if they gave it to Rudy Gobert over Bi, I would understand that. I would get it. I would. I, w- I wouldn't want to see that because I think that. I personally value kind of like excitements and players who are a bit electrifying in uh, the all-star game over, you know, kind of <laughs> defensive lockdown <laughs> players. Uh, like I would never want to see, I don't know, Nick Claxton in an all-star game, even though like he might deserve it and probably will be at some point in his career, but that's just me. Um, hey man, DeAndre but, Jordan was an all-star. Yeah. But I mean, he's a guy who can jump out of the gym, you know, like, at least he has that athleticism to him. Right. Like Rudy Gobert has none of that. He's a guy who's going to give you, wow, sturdy rim protection and just defensive <laughs> toughness. Awesome. And maybe Let's an alley-oop. Go. Yeah. 
not even. Um, the highlight would, for in that would be Rudy Gobert shooting a three or something like that, uh, which he's seen like maybe twice ever. Uh, let's move on to the East. I can give my picks and yeah. we could talk about this. So for the guards, I have Tyrese Halberton and Damian Lillard starting. And then off the bench, I have Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, and Tyrese Maxey. Okay, my starters are – I we have the same five, but I would have uh, Tyrese Halberton and Trey Young starting. I think – Wait, it, okay, you, well, we we do not have the same five. I do not have Trey Young as an all-star. Oh, I apologize. Wait, name your five again? Tyrese Halberton, Dame okay. Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, okay, Tyrese Maxey. I don't have Donovan Mitchell there. I have Trey Young instead of Donovan Mitchell. Not, no, don't just think he should – play i think he should be a starter he can Under. look at the standings yes i know they're the 12 seed we talked about this regardless you make exceptions in cases where players are doing exceptional things and trey young just broke oscar robertson's record of most 30 10 games in a row consecutively and he's playing some of the best basketball of his career i think it is unfair right we're not talking all nba all nba is a little bit more weighted on standing. I think all-star, yes, standing is still important. But when you look at guys doing things that are generational, that are unprecedented, you have to you have to incorporate that. I think I, I could not disagree with you more there. I think that we deserve we, we gotta value winning in this as well. And I think Donovan with Mitchell is on a way more winning team, right? The Cleveland Cavaliers are a solidified playoff team and they will be. Whereas, you know, we're just talking about the Hawks as gonna be like one of the lottery teams this year. I think that it's your stats are significantly diminished if you're on a losing team because the games don't really matter, right? Okay, you so then LeBron garbage time stats. Then then Anthony Davis or LeBron should not be an all-star because the Lakers are at the what the 10 seed and have lost 10, yes, but 12 also, of their last 15. They shouldn't sure. be there then. Sure, but the Lakers you also can't won have... the in-season tournament. They won the Okay, but that, that has no no standing when it comes to Hunter historically, the NBA All-Stars. Historically, the in-season tournament has mattered a lot in the All-Star selection. <laughs> you have to take no, that. But what I'm saying is, if you're if you're going on the the argument that like oh teams with shouldn't have two All-Stars unless they're high in the standing, like you know the Lakers are going to have the, be the only team with two All-Stars in the West, and they're at the 10 seed. And you could say that's the fan vote. The Lakers have a lot of sway in the world. Uh, LeBron and AD are both superstar level players, but I could say the same thing about Trey Young and say he is that superstar level player. He's just on a team that happens to be losing. Right. Okay. At the very minimum, I don't think they should start. I think the Lakers are an exception because LeBron James is a one of one talent. He's always going to be a starter for as long as he plays and is relatively good. I think that, you know, it's a bit of an exception. Lakers are a bit the of Lakers an Lakers are case. an exception because they're your team. No, Hunter, they're not. No, <laughs> don't do that to me. Don't do that. <laughs> I think that, I mean, LeBron, we're talking about LeBron James. We're talking about a guy who's in the greatest player of all time conversations. The sway he has on the fan boat is incomparable, right? Incomparable. Right, so then that, Anthony Davis should be not If playing. Anthony Davis was not an all-star, I would be okay with that. I would understand it. Obviously, I wouldn't be, like, happy with it. I think he deserves to be an all-star. But based on everything we talked about, I would understand it, right? I would understand it. I put Anthony Davis. I would not understand that. I'm just. I. I would not understand Anthony Davis not being an All Star, because of how incredible his stats has he's been putting up are. You know, we're talking about comparable numbers to his MVPs or MVP level seasons. You know, so I value statistics. I value the fact that players are doing unprecedented things. That's why I have Trey Young in my starting lineup. But the thing is, at the very minimum, I don't think they should be a starter. Like I think that you we talk about those Bradley Beal Wizard teams, right, where he was averaging. 30 he was leading the league in scoring 
he was not one of these guys that was starting in the all-star game because people understood the sort of like the garbage time nature of stats on a bad team. If you're on a losing team, every game is sort of garbage time, right? And so the stats you're putting up are almost meaningless or not as meaningful as someone contributing to winning. And All so right, that's that's fair. But, but I, I think would, we should move on. I just say I would compromise and say if Trey Young was a regular all-star, I wouldn't be mad, but I don't think he should start. Okay. Would you rather have Brunson or Mitchell if it came down to those two? Brunson, 100%. Brunson, 100%. Okay, I, I agree. And let's move on to our forwards, if you want to start with that. Okay, I realize I kind of have to eat my words a little bit because I'm also – I have a team that has two all-stars that maybe should – like, by my own standards, <laughs> maybe does not deserve it. But well, regardless, okay, I have Giannis, Embiid, and Tatum starting. I think that's a bit of a no-brainer. I think you have that too, Hunter. I don't yes. even know what your picks are, but yeah. Um, and then my other forwards are Paolo – Bam at a bio and Julius Randle. Uh, so obviously, in this scenario, the hmm, Knicks would have two quite, all stars. Quite interesting. <laughs> hmm. Okay. The okay. eighth seed in the East having two all stars and not the one seed in the all star Celtics, who you seem to have valued so much. Okay. Okay. You're correct. You're entirely correct. And in that case, I think that we would have to consider Jalen Brown a forward. Because he is eligible to be voted as a forward, and we would have Jalen Brown, Paolo, and Bam off the bench. Thoughts? Yeah, we have the same guys, except I have Kristaps in my in my All Star ballot instead, instead of, of JB. instead of Jalen uh, instead of Jalen Brown. I I very much struggled to determine who I would rather have between Julius Randle and Kristaps, but I think I lean Kristaps. And I think I'm making an exception to what I was talking about earlier just because of how dominant the Celtics have been. Like, it's not close. I mean, they're such a good team. They have so much talent. So it's expected. But at the same time, I think their second best player has been Kristaps Porzingis. I do not think it has been Jalen Brown. You know, you know, you look at the numbers. Kristaps has been really the anchor for that defense along with Drew Holiday. He's been allowing Drew Holiday to be as aggressive as he is and the rest of that Celtics team along with Jason Tatum obviously stepping up in his defensive prowess. But Kristaps is a guy who's been averaging about 28 and two blocks. Uh, you know, he's been really good for this team, and he's been having some great efficiency, shooting lights out of the three ball, and I think he deserves his recognition. I'm not mad at that. I'll honestly say I like your list. I'm a big fan. So there we go. We agree on something. So <laughs> from there – Who are the we snubs, can... though? Okay, yeah, I almost forgot about that. So I think – in the Eastern Conference, I mean, I feel like, obviously, like, in that case, we would have Julius Randle be a snub. I think a guy, another guy who really deserves it, who is probably not going to make it, is Franz Wagner. I mean, he's mm -hmm. putting up incredible numbers, 26-4, and four, on a team that's currently sitting at the uh, four seed in the East. And so, he's a guy who I think is playing at an all-star level. I mean, another guy, like, just, just purely based off name is Jimmy Butler. But, I mean... He doesn't really care about the regular season, so... And he's also whatever. been out for a lot of the time. Uh, yeah. Another guy I think who you could say is a snub uh, would be DeMar DeRozan. He's been really playing well, um, even if the Bulls are playing bad. Um, Mikhail Bridges is another guy. Um, yeah. Killian Hayes, you know. For, for sure, yeah. I think also... Um... Rafa, did, <laughs> did you hear what I said? Oh, Killian Hayes? Oh, you kind of <laughs> snuck that in there. I thought... I almost like but I've completely blanked that out. Yeah, no, I think Killian Hayes for sure. Honestly, he should start in the All Star game. 
Uh, I think we should replace probably Giannis or Embiid with Killian Hayes. I agree. Even, I, I know Killian Hayes is a guard, but like he's just too good. We kind of have to like move him to center. What's your so what our discussion right now is actually the discussion that Monty Williams has in his head every single night before he starts <laughs> Killian Hayes. He thinks this guy is as good as Giannis. He'll play. He'll play him over uh, Asar Thompson any day of the week. Or Jalen Duran. Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyways. I think we can move on from there. Let's talk about um, the Warriors. There's some been some pretty big news there. Um, they're currently below 500. We talked about their struggles. Uh, CP3 fractured his hand. He's going to be out a couple of weeks. Needs surgery on that. Uh, but the big story really, I, I guess the two big stories is one, Draymond Green is back. Uh, he came back. Uh, recently to the Warriors facility. I mean, he's eligible to play now. And he got like a round of applause. Um, and he felt that he didn't think he deserved it. And there's all this drama he talked about in this podcast episode. He said that he was thinking about retirement, but Steve Kerr was saying that he was making a rash decision and he shouldn't do that. Allegedly, Steve Kerr came over and they both cried together. I'm not making this up. <laughs> actually real. So they've really played up the drama about this, but... I mean, Hunter, what are your thoughts on this whole situation? I think Draymond Green's trying to turn himself into a victim instead of being a responsible adult and <laughs> and just accepting what happened. It's not that big of a deal. And I realistically think if you turn the NBA back 20, 25 years, this isn't a therapy or multi-game suspension. You, you might see – you're definitely going to see an ejection for the stuff he's doing. But, you know, you turn the clock back on the NBA – 25 years and this is just an ejection from a game this isn't even a single game suspension you know this kind of stuff was regular activity i think people are kind of blown to that proportion i think by today's nba standards what happened to Draymond is appropriate and it's not acceptable but to make some sob story out of it is ridiculous and you know we know the nba loves drama so yeah there I'm, you go look he missed 12 games john ja missed 25 games we didn't hear a peep um I guess the, the other story with... It's uh, the podcast. It's the podcast, 100%. That's true. Podcasts do lead to a lot of drama. Hunter, we're going to have to start making this podcast a little bit more dramatic. <laughs> we're going to have to punch each other in the face. <laughs> yeah. Leaked footage from TMZ. But the other story with the Warriors is that Steve Kerr has kind of been losing the faith of his young players. I mean, there's been some questionable decisions in the rotations. Guys like Jonathan Kaminga feeling that they're not being able to live up to their potential um, under his coaching guys like Moses Moody only playing when the crowd breaks out in a Moody chance, which is kind of insane. Um, what do you think of this? Do you think that this is Steve Kerr's fault? Do you think the young guys are being dramatic? Do you think that the Warriors should move in a different direction? I mean, thoughts on the young guys in the Warriors. Yeah. I mean, I think that, Steve Kerr has really used, utilized them wrong. I think that they definitely deserve more playing time than they've received. He just doesn't seem to trust them. He pulls out players when they're hot, including Steph Curry. He does not deviate from his rotations. And I know this might sound crazy, but I think we have to start thinking about what has Steve Kerr really done as a coach? Like, yes, we can talk about his championships. Uh, four we championships. To... Right, right. But let's let's look at the t let's <laughs> look at the teams he's won championships with. Right, kept. 2020, I think he did, did a great coaching job, but like 2020, the champion, he, was, he was the coach. Or, sorry, 20, 2021, <laughs> 2022, not 2020, 2022. I think that that was really a lot of Steph Curry and don't get me wrong. I think Steve Kerr in the, the defense, that was all him, but you look at the Kevin Durant teams. That's not obviously Steve Kerr. That's just the fact that that te those teams are way too good for the league. 
I think a lot of the work was done in player development and making Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green the players they were was done by Mark Jackson. That wasn't work done by Steve Kerr. He kind of just came in at the right time when they were blossoming as players. So when you talk about Steve Kerr as a player development coach, I don't think there really has been much player development. I mean, you know, look at his track record. James Wiseman is not a great player um, in the NBA at all. I mean, really, his only success story has been, what, Jordan Poole, who is now struggling in, on the Wizards? Like, that's that the extent of his player development. Right, but, I mean, you're talking about his ability to develop players. We're talking about his ability to coach young guys and make have them have faith in themselves. And you look at the sort of talent he's been given. I think he's had opportunity. I just don't think some of these players have, have blossomed. Sounds good. I mean, that makes sense to a certain extent, but I think that you're also undervaluing like the player development part of the Warriors organization. I mean, there's a whole separate team responsible for that. I think that uh, Steve Kerr as a coach, I mean, I don't think his track record can be denied at this point. I think that while his primary skill might not be in like allowing young talent to flourish, let's keep in mind, Steph Curry was not like this proven star uh, in 2015 when they ended up winning the championship. And I mean, there was all this stigma or all this uh yeah i guess stigma is the right word around shooting teams uh with a small not very athletic point guard at the helm right and he trusted steph curry to lead that team and that paid dividends obviously and so you can credit mark jackson but you also have to credit steve Kerr for taking them all the way further with the kd warriors i agree that his coaching impact was less important but still you need to be a very competent coach in many different regards in order to manage all those egos. You know, when you have all these cooks in these, in the kitchen, all these guys who feel uh, entitled to the ball and to, you know, being in the spotlight because they are, you have four. Wait, let's talk but, about that. What, what egos did you manage? Because obviously the two Kevin only personalities on the team, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green, did not get along. They got enough to, they got along enough to win two championships, make it to three and finals. Kobe and Jack got uh, and Kobe and Shaq got along well enough to win yeah, three and we, in a row. And we, rightly re, and we rightly regard Bill Jackson as one of the best coaches of all time. Okay, you have a point. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think Steve okay. Kerr, we can we can definitely question his decision making in terms of his rotations and especially with these young guys like Kaminga. But I think questioning his legacy is is a bit misguided and you have to kind of do some historical revisionism in order to make that work. Okay, no, that's that's valid, but I just think the Warriors, we talked about already CP3, they're just in a really rough position, two games below 500. Um, I really hope they can right this ship, but I think they're kind of in the position the Lakers were in after this rest trade, which we really did see coming. Okay, so give a prediction right now. Do the Warriors make the playoffs? The play-in or playoffs? Playoffs. I'm Will we no. see Steph Curry in a playoff series? No, okay. No, I, I, th- I don't think so. Memphis now being out of contention changes that a lot. But I think the Rockets have honestly been a really great team. Um, I think I can see the Rockets making it over the Warriors. And every single team that's in the top 10 right now, I don't see falling. Uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't think the Warriors are making it. But good thing you brought up the, the Grizzlies. It's a perfect transition. Let's talk about John Morant, who's out, with the, uh, out for the season. Uh, obviously, he missed 25 games. Really unfortunate. Uh, for him to, you know, miss the season, just as I feel like the Grizzlies were turning it around. But uh, his injury 
is one of many for the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, obviously they lost Stephen Jackson, or sorry, Stephen Adams for the uh, for the season. They lost Brandon Clark uh, and a whole litany of guys, right? They've been one of the most injured teams, probably the most injured team this whole season. So Hunter, I mean, recap the, the season for the Memphis Grizzlies and how do they really prepare for next year? Yeah, I mean, this season for the Memphis Grizzlies is officially over. You know, you had basically Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr. trying to, to hold the fort down for a little bit while Jaw was out. And, you know, you just get guys going down left and right, whether it was Derrick Rose, Stephen Adams out before the season, Brennan Clark was still out, um, just pretty much every guy. Then you keep have to bring up random guys from the G League you've never heard of consistently playing in your rotation. And, it you know, it just kind of, Went south real quick. John Morant finally returns. You get this good winning streak going. You see the momentum start to change. Jaron Jackson starts to play better. Desmond Bain's getting into his role. And it all comes crashing down. So, you know, I feel really bad for this team. But I think they're kind of in the position like the Warriors were uh, in 2021. Steph goes down. Kevin uh, Clay Thompson was out for a little while. That's their chance to kind of get maybe a, a good young player into the rotation for next year. Especially maybe somebody who's a little more ready to win right away. Um, so, you know, I think this could be good for them, especially because they were really coming back from behind. It was going to be a lot of hard work for them to get back into the standings and maybe not even get to the the play playoffs or, you know, maybe losing the play-in tournament. So I know this isn't a great draft class, but if they can get, uh, you know, maybe a, a top five, top 10 pick, and find a, a ready to win now kind of guy, plug him into the you know the bench and have him be a good piece to them next year. I think that could be very valuable. Yeah, I agree. I think that you know this season was kind of cursed for them with John missing so much time, with having all these injuries before the season even started. So coming back next year, fully healthy, retooled, re-energized, I think this is going to be much better for them. I think that we're going to see a completely different Memphis Grizzly team next year. Um, I think we're going to see them back to being one of the top teams in the West because this team has all the talent. They just, you know, haven't been able to stay healthy. Uh, and I think that, you know, they could just forget about the season like the Warriors in 2021, right? Horrific season, uh, like worst team in the league by far. Go back to win the championship next year. I'm not saying they are, but, you know, that sort of uh, boom and bust is kind of the, the level I'm talking about there. Uh, let's talk about another team in the West that's been struggling uh, and that's our Los Angeles Lakers, who are really struggling since uh, the win in the in-season tournament. They're currently one game under 500, uh, three and seven in the last 10, and have only won four times since that in-season tournament. So there's been a lot of outrage about Darvin Ham, a lot of people calling for him to be fired. Um, but Hunter, as a loyal and devout Laker fan, do you think the Lakers' problems lie with Darvin Ham, or is something or somebody else the problem? Look, I think Darvin Ham has not been the best head coach by any means. Do I think this results in Darvin Ham being fired? No. I don't think there's any coach out there in the market who's going to do a better job. I think people forget that consistency matters, and I think Darvin Ham forgot that as well. I think having a consistent rotation is going to be really important for this Lakers team to get back on track. And I think after that win against the Clippers uh, two nights ago, this Lakers team maybe kind of revitalized itself a little bit because that was a big game for them. This Clippers team was red hot, having won 11 games in a row before facing them. You know, everyone played. Kawhi, PG, 
um, James Harden, Russ, they all played and they still won. It wasn't a super convincing win. It was a close game, but that Lakers defense looked really good and it looked like guys were buying in. I would love to see a lot more Christian Wood. I, I want you to hear this statistic because it blew my mind. Lineups with LeBron, AD, and Christian Wood are a plus 20.5 net rating and have a defensive rating of 101.2, which would put them as the best defensive team in the NBA, which is shocking considering in lineups with LeBron and AD without Christian Wood, their defensive rating is a 115, which puts them at like 15th in the NBA. I mean, obviously, there's a much larger sample size with the second and the first. Right, but right. It's that, like 800-something minutes versus 100. I think Christian Wood, I mean, he's phenomenally talented as an offensive big man. I think, you know, his defensive deficiencies are made up for the fact that AD is so talented as a shot blocker and as a guy who can hold down the forts uh, as a big man there and make up for Wood's deficiencies. I think that, I mean, yes, I don't think that Darvin Ham is the sole problem with the Lakers. But I mean, look, we're talking about playing Darvin Ham or playing Christian Wood more. Who's in control of the rotations? It's obviously Darvin Ham. And I think there's been some very questionable rotations and guys who I think who are getting too many minutes, guys who aren't getting enough minutes. I think we've seen Torian Prince and Cam Reddish get too many minutes, in my opinion. Their shooting has not been up to par and has really been pretty detrimental for this Lakers team. Yes, I, I disagree with the Torian take. Okay, let's hear it. I, Torian has had been shooting 40% from three this season overall. You, you, I think you're having a little bit of selective memory. He's actually been really good in these past few games. The, this past maybe, uh, this last month, he's been really good for us. Yes, I agree. Cam Reddish has been overplayed a little bit. I think this minutes should maybe go to Vando a little bit more. But I've really liked what I've seen out of Torian. And this is a guy who I think should continue to start because he provides you decent enough defense, can get out to the perimeter from the paint, uh, jump around a little bit. He's decently mobile and can knock down the three. I mean, we saw in, against the Clippers, he knocked down some big time threes he did. He um, did. to get us in, in back into the game in take the lead so i really do think this is a guy who's earned darvin ham's trust and should stay in that spot i think a guy who has not been played enough and could also be in contention to take cam reddish's minutes is max christie yeah this is a guy who has come into the lakers two years ago on this team and we've really seen his development as a player he's knocking down threes at a decent clip and i don't think he's getting enough time to really know but he's got great defensive talent he was locking up james harden this is not a guy that's very easy to lock up not the whole game just just on individual possessions he was playing really good defense on james harden and he really gives guys smaller than him a very hard time um agreed i think that he's he's a guy very very talented defender and i think that he has a lot of potential to be a really solid two-way guy i mean his shooting leaves a little more to be desired i think that you know shooting at 30 percent you're you're not fully confident in that yet but you know, as a slasher, as a cutter, he's shown a lot of growth from last year. And I, I think that, yes, Darwin should give him some more minutes there. I think another guy who should be getting more PT is Jalen Hood-Shafino. I mean, he's averaging a whopping <laughs> 2.3 points, 0.8 rebounds. Uh, and uh, you know, I think he point, should be starting. I mean, he's shooting a, a lights out from three this year, 11% from three. Uh, I mean, just a phenomenal talent. I'm so glad that the Lakers uh, drafted him over Jaime Hawkes Jr., uh, Cam Whitmore, and Brandon Kajemski. 
think that, you know, <laughs> no, all jokes aside, I agree. I think the rotations uh, do need to be brushed up on. Hunter, Which... right now, do you think Darvin Ham should be fired? No. Hard um, no. At, at what point would you consider firing Darvin Ham if you're the Lakers front office? After seeing the rotations he played in this Clipper game, I think those were the rotations. I think he made very good rotations throughout the game. I think if you see him continue to create lineups that have no consistency, like over the next five games, if I don't see the same the same starting five barring injury, I think that we need to have first a stern talking to with Darvin. Hunter, Hunter you need to <laughs> let go, dude. Because Literally, we were when we were on that big losing streak. I remember I texted you. I was like, "Hunter, at what point do we start? Like, do you start considering firing Darvin Ham?" And you're like, "All right, we'll see these next few games as you know the sort of test." And then we lost like five games, and then one win that suddenly resets that you know that. No, counter. it doesn't reset. It doesn't reset. But what you see is you see the rotations coming into effect that you want to see, and that's important. You have to realize consistency matters. If you put in a new head coach. I, people are talking about just having an interim coach, you know, just fire Darvin Ham and put Phil Handy in there, a guy we trust. No, you do not want Phil Handy as your head coach. You do not want to demonize a Hall of Fame level assistant coach. This is a guy who has worked with some of the best players in the NBA of all time. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, worked with incredible talents and really helped finish and polish their games. And he's a great player development guy. Do you really want the Laker fan base to demonize and villainize this guy who has no experience in X and O's head coaching? No, you don't want that. Because no matter who ends up being LeBron's head coach, they're going to be under a ton of scrutiny no matter what they do. We see every time LeBron has a head coach, they get fired within two, three years. It's just the course of how it goes with, with LeBron. Right? You saw Luke Walton deserve to be fired. But Frank Vogel, on the other hand, Frank Vogel was dealt Russell Westbrook into his lineup and was essentially fired because he couldn't incorporate Russell Westbrook well enough. That's not a good reason to fire a head coach who just won you a championship a year and a half ago. I think you just yeah. see too much scrutiny fall under head coaches of LeBron James and Lakers teams. And I think Darvin Ham is no exception to this. I think we need to give him a little more slack. Yes, do I think that he's had some funky things happen? Of course, but... At the same time, he's a young head coach. He's figuring it out, and he's getting his consistency to him. People are calling him not an interim head coach. They're calling him the intern head coach. He's like, you know, <laughs> figuring out on the job. Obviously, there's a lot of jokes that I think are really funny, like the fact he has his hands in his pockets all the time. Like, come on, Darwin, take your, take your hands out of there. But, um, Hunter, make a prediction right now with the Lakers. One, what seed do we end up at? And... What's our ceiling this year? Lakers are going to be the seventh seed this year. I think we're going to make a push for being in the top six. I just don't think we're going to get there. I think there's too many talented teams. And ultimately, I think this team is a conference finals team again. Hmm. Okay. I, 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 I respect that. I don't like think honesty. this team I don't think this team has the ability to beat the Nuggets again. I think any other team you realistically have a real shot of beating. I just don't see any anyone stopping Jokic. If Anthony Davis can't do it, no one can. That's a good point. Um, awesome. So I guess we can move on to our last thing. I have just a small little quiz for you, Hunter. Um, who are the leaders 
in three-pointers made this season? I know the answer is you don't. I just want to see if you can guess the top five. Top five. Okay. I'm going to go with an obvious one, Stephen Curry. That's number one. Okay. I'm going to go Damian Lillard. Not not in there, no. Having a okay, bit of okay. a down year. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton. He's number five. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, You know what? This might be a little bit out there, but he's been on fire from three, and I'm going to go Paul George. Mm, not in there. I think he's missed too much time. There's no way. I th- I'm <sighs> okay. Desmond Bain. He's been another guy. He's Desmond Bain's number three. Number okay. three. So who do I have right now? I have Tyrese Halliburton, Steph Curry, Desmond Bain. Yes. Okay. This might sound a little crazy, but I'm gonna go like Kevin Herter. No. Okay. Teammate of Kevin Herter, or no, not teammate. Actually, is it Kings? Is it the Kings? Because no, no, no. former teammate of Kevin Herter. Former teammate of having Kevin Herter. You were taught. We were talking about him a lot this episode. Trey Young. Yes, Trey Young's number okay. four, and then number two. I'm missing number two. This one's pretty. This one, I feel like you'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Duncan Robinson. No, Tyler I mean he's Giro. no. <laughs> um, I didn't say Dame, did I? You. That was the first. That was okay, your second. Oh, yeah. Okay, I did say Dame. Um, Tyrese Maxey. Mm, no, but he is an All Star. I'll give you that. He is an All Star. Yes. Um, Donovan Mitchell's missed too much time. I think. Their team that sort of has surpassed expectations, I guess, than what we thought they were going to do. Oh, maybe I'm a be is all star level guy we've talked about. I was going to say for a second, um, why am I blanking on I was going to say Fred Van Bleet, but that wouldn't make any sense. I'm going to no. go ahead and say it's maybe an Orlando player. It, no, 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 it's it's the it's very it's a very obvious answer. He's a very okay. all star starter. Oh, all-star starter? Okay, Luca. Yeah, it's Luca. Okay. There we go. Yeah. So why, did, is... why was that so hard to get Luca? That should have been obvious. I don't know. I guess because, like, I mean, he shoots the three-ball a lot, but he, sometimes you just kind of forget about him in that conversation. Mm-hmm. But that's a good place to call it. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to the first episode of 2024. I have a lot of fun stuff uh, in store, so definitely make sure you are you know, following us on all socials and, and stay tuned for that. So, Thank you all and have a have a good one. We'll see you all next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Peace.